What the fuck is up, world? Piali Tlaltik Pak. We back in this bitch. Another podcast for that ass. Another grito. Sea dicho. Coming about two weeks and some change now since my last podcast on the eternal recurrence. And honestly, I just needed a little bit of a break, homie. That one was a little bit of a <laughs> an emotionally gripping podcast for me personally, okay? Hopefully a little bit for you too. It stirred a little bit of the emotions enough for you to be interested to listen through it. And if not, like I've always said, I hope you find something that does, right? Captivate that emotion and stir within you the desire to continue listening through and just help, you know, help you get through life the way, you know, many of the podcasts that I listen to help me do the same. And um, yeah, so, you know, <laughs> um, at the risk of sounding entirely histrionic, I guess the point is, I'm going to simply leave it at saying that the concept of eternal recurrence, it really does sleep. It really does speak to me, homie, right? So um, after that podcast, after I made that podcast, uh, I just had to take a little bit of time, a little bit of me time, a little bit of time to reflect, a little bit of time to sit with all the emotions that it's third, right? To try to learn the lessons from the emotions. And try to continue fucking navigating my way through this fucking slippery earth of Tlaltik Pak. Try to continue low riding through life, as it were, right? Low riding through Turtle Island and shit, right? Anyways, um, <clears throat> in the process of doing that, I was sitting down to prepare the next episode. That sure this happened during the fucking Super Bowl, so right, right? Uh, shout out to the fucking... That was a dope, for me personally, a dope Super Bowl halftime show, right? So the next episode, <laughs> what they started off with. Anyways, the point is that halfway through that episode, or rather... Um, as I was sitting down to prepare the next episode following the eternal recurrence, I initially intended to get back to the the hood philosophy shit, you know, in order to follow the pattern that I have been working on lately, the hood philosophy, conspiracy shit, Nietzsche, and then starting all over again, right? Um, but when I was doing so, again, that part, <laughs> the part that I was on of the hood philosophy shit, it was pretty intense, homie. And I just, I needed a little bit of lightheartedness at the time to feel, you know, I just needed some lightheartedness in my life. So, you know... I, I kind of decided to do something different. I decided to do a little bit, something a little bit different, right? Because, um, you know, it's, it's it's good to do the heavy shit every now and then, right? But it's also good, you know, to just put the weight down, as I've spoken before, and just continue going and, and you know, recharge your batteries, if you will, right? Because, you know, one of the last things I'm trying to do is turn into one of those black pill doomers that only see shit through the eyes of fear. I'm not with that, homie. I'm only trying to see things through the eyes of love. And if I just keep fucking... Focusing on all the negativity, sometimes it's very easy to get caught up in the in the eyes of fear. You know what I mean? That's not to say that the hood philosophy shit is, you know, directed towards the eyes of fear. So much as it is to say that, again, the shit that I'm talking about, addiction, relapse, uh, recovery, relapse, and the so on, and all the patterns that we get stuck in the mix and, you know, that keep us from uh, living good, happy, meaningful lives. Like, that shit gets fucking, it gets heavy after a while. You know what I mean? And I just wanted to, I wanted to break it. I wanted to break the monotony with some lightheartedness, dog. Right? So, you know, as I was sitting down to prepare the podcast, I just scrapped it entirely, you know, and I started thinking to myself, like, again, I've been doing a lot of philosophy and I've been doing a lot of conspiracy theories of late, but I've really not really focused too much on horror, right? And honestly, that's my raspberry jam, yo. If you haven't seen the fucking new Texas Chainsaw Massacre on Netflix, yo, that shit goes fucking hard, bro. All these motherfuckers talking about the plot and the acting. Yo, it's a fucking horror movie. Get the fuck over it, dog. It's an Oscar-worthy nominee. It's something that's just meant to fucking, for shits and giggles, you know what I mean? Um, anyways, <laughs> horror, dog. It's my fucking raspberry jam, yo. And a little light of the happiness that helps me, you know, blue pill and enjoy life every now and then. Football, sports in general, they do the same, right? But this isn't a sports podcast. So I decided, you know, like I have horror in my shit when I, you know, for those of you who watch on YouTube, like it comes out horror movies. Like, what the fuck? Let's talk some horror movies, dog. Right? You know, part of this podcast, it is horror. I like to discuss, as we've mentioned before, the horror of philosophy, the philosophy of horror to mix it interchangeably. So let's, let, let's talk some horror, dog. And I thought, you know, what better way to reincorporate that than now? I say, oh, you know what? Before I start getting onto this fucking tangent, bro, before I start getting into this podcast, let me take a moment to just get the semantics out of the way. You already know the deal. If you haven't already, follow your boy, OG underscore ice nice 13 on the gram. Microphone always fucking with me up here, down here. And something along the same lines on, you know, the other socials as well. Of course, as I mentioned before, I never really checked the other socials. But I'm always fucking much appreciative for those of you who do reach out to me on them. And even if it takes me forever to get back to you, just know that I appreciate the fuck out the love. And that, you know, I really do mostly only focus on the gram, right? But, you know, I still see motherfuckers there for, you know, those who reach out at other mediums as well. Anyways, um, let's get back into it, dog. I say reincorporate because obviously, again, as I just mentioned right now, 
I've spoken about the horror of philosophy in the past, but this one's going to be a bit different, yo. And uh, it's going to be different in the sense that where, you know, uh, where the horror of philosophy, it's all about examining the, the horrors, if you will, that emerge from philosophical reflection. What I'm going to be dropping today is just a take on the horror, on, on some genre horror in general, right? So, you know, unlike the horror of philosophy that I've been discussing in the past by, you know, the gentleman Eugene Thacker, where he's using, you know, the horrors essentially that emerge from philosophical reflection to, you know, examine deep philosophical issues. I'm going to be using fucking genre horror, bro. So like horror movies and shit to discuss just basic philosophical issues. Now, you know, it's horror ideas, I guess I should say, to talk philosophically. But um, I should qualify it that this is this is going to be the this is going to be the 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 introduction to you know a long a long fucking series of podcasts that I hope to do in the future on the horror genre in general, right? So I guess you can add a fourth one to the mix now to my three from conspiracy theories, fucking Nietzsche and hood philosophy. We're going to throw in horror movies into the mix, right? So this one is going to be, this is an introductory to that whole fucking, you know, trajectory forever, however long it goes or wherever it fucking takes me, right? In the horror movie genre. So um, yeah, dog, let's get into it. And it's not just horror movies, yo. It's fucking books, comics, all that kind of shit, right? Songs, <laughs> all kinds of shit, dog. Anyways, I guess by way of introduction, it's only right to start with an informal summary of sorts and uh, the specifically of the thoughts that ground this particular episode, right? And that is, you know, the simple insight that monsters, right? What the fuck are monsters? When we think about horror movies, we're thinking about monsters, dog. Not just monsters, but other evil entities that have found their way into our conceptual system of navigating and making sense of the world, if you will, right? And uh, this is obviously a hallmark of the horror genre in general, monsters and evil entities, okay? And uh, one reason that is given for that, according to, you know, the, the, the author who wrote this article... Is that, you know, despite what movies, books, and the and the like would have us believe, the quote-unquote monsters, yo, they're actually within us as humans, okay? And because of that, monsters, it's no surprise then that monsters have existed throughout time and culture. Because if the monsters, the real monsters are within us, then that means that they have existed for as long as humans have existed. Making them not only inter internal, but eternal as well, Okay. So the idea here is that what these monsters are, the monsters that, you know, like I got them fucking the horror movie shirt on right now, right? But um, not just the ones that are on my shirt, for those of you who can't see, maybe just listening through audio only, but just all the monsters in general, okay? If they are actually internal and eternal, the idea here is that these monsters are what they are is realistically nothing more than our negative thoughts and feelings made flesh, an idea that is, you know, it's said to explain perfectly the horrifying shit we see people capable of daily on, you know, social media, the news, and so on. But not just not just people that are what, what people are capable of, but the shit that can potentially happen to people as well. Uh, it's, I'm, it's an example that I'm going to talk about later in the podcast, but one that's really stuck out with me as of late was the shark attack that took place in Sydney. Yo, I used to be fucking obsessed with sharks, bro, when I was younger, especially when I was living out in the in the in the Bay Area, right? I had a homie. I have a homie. This dude is a fucking, he's a nomad wanderer. He's living his best life right now. We both got out the fucking, uh, the military because we realized that shit was whack as fuck and not conducive to the spirits of people like him and I, right? And uh, unlike him, I settled down back into a typical fucking Western life, but that motherfucker is off on his own trip right now. You know what I mean? And uh, when I met this dude, he was really big into, I mean, he still is. That's part of the trip that he's on. He's traveling the whole, literally the whole fucking continent, dog. All of this motherfucker is literally low riding through Turtle Island. You know what I mean? This motherfucker bought a fucking minivan and said, fuck it all, dog. And he's just taking that minivan all around the, you know, all over the continent, dog. And uh, he's just, you know, surfing and enjoying life, <laughs> right? Anyways, the reason I bring it up is because this motherfucker, he was huge into surfing. He's from Jersey, right? Um, and when I met him, you know, one of, the, one of the ways that we started vibing was through surfing. Dude, I'm from the fucking desert, bro. I've never surfed in my fucking life. And I'm honestly, I was terrified. I still am terrified of fucking large bodies of water. You know what I mean? But there's something about being in the ocean that's very calming, very relaxing, very peaceful. And uh, this motherfucker, you know, he, he, he was about that life, obviously being from Jersey. But he took it a step further in that he actually liked to be in the motherfucking ocean. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, you know, as a homie, as a homie, you know, I would go out there with him. Even though I was fucking terrified of the ocean, I would go out there with him. And, you know, just to be clear... I had a reason to be terrified specifically of where we were living, dog. The Ferryone Islands were just, you know, however X amount of miles 
uh, uh, offshore. We were living up in San Francisco. The Farion Islands are right there. And that is the, one of the most, uh, uh, that is one of the breeding grounds of some of the most aggressive great white sharks. You know what I mean? So of, any rational person should be fucking afraid of going into the ocean up in Northern California. In the ocean period, dog, there's fucking horrors and monsters the likes of which we can't even begin to comprehend that exist within there. And that, you know, we are fucking literally fish out of water inside the ocean. You know what I mean? Anyways, it's because of this that I started to develop this huge fascination with great white sharks. Like, just the, uh, just, just what they're capable of. Just the sheer amount of force that they possess. You know what I mean? And then perhaps most importantly, the way that my homie fucking Rick, his name was Rick. His name is Rick. He's still alive, right? <laughs> uh, the way that he fucking would talk about the, the, the dead black sharkless, or rather the dead black lifeless eyes of a shark. Like, it's not discriminatory, bro. Although... To quote the great Wheezy, the only thing on the shark's mind is eat. You know what I mean? And uh, when I'm living, when I was living out in the fucking Bay Area and we're out here surfing, I would just think to myself constantly about the fucking, you know, as, as amazing as it was to be out in the ocean and surfing and shit, learning how to surf, the fucking fear was always deeply ingrained within my mind. And I could occasionally push it back for long enough to actually enjoy being out in the ocean, but it always fucking persisted the idea that at any fucking second, a great white shark could come breaching up from underneath me and swallow me whole, right? And it didn't help that there this fucking had happened in that area, a little bit up more north from where we were at, right? Uh, uh, a couple of years before that I had gotten there, you know what I mean? So the, the, the myth, the legend of this fucking great white shark attacking this young lady. And you know what? To be fair, she survived, bro. And I think they had like a TV show about her. She came out on a TV show about surviving a shark attack. Um, like that shit was always fresh in my mind. And I would just always think like how crazy it must be to just, you know, be out there in the ocean completely alone someday, entirely by yourself. And then suddenly just get jacked by a great white shark and it'd be so fast and so quick. And there'd be no one around to fucking, you know, hear your cries of pain and cries of help. Not that they would, you know, not that they'd be useful. You just got attacked by a great white shark, dog. That's it. You fucking, the time's up. You know what I mean? But, uh, what really fucking stuck with me is just how, non-important it was in the whole cosmic scheme of life. Life would cont literally continue on without you. You had this one brief moment of excruciating pain, but then the ocean reclaims your fucking remains and, you know, life just continues along without you. So, um, yeah, dog, for the longest time, the reason I'm getting on this fucking tangent about the, the sharks and shit is because, yeah, y'all was fucking terrified of sharks, bro. So it's not just what we as humans are capable of, but it's also about the, sh it's also about the shit that is capable of happening to human beings, of which... A shark attack is just one of the many thing, horrors, if you will, that is capable of occurring to us. That's actually one of the reasons why I got an orca tattoo, bro. People always ask me, like, why do you get an orca tattoo, right? It was part of the overcoming the, part of it, right? Part of it is the over, learning to overcome the fears. For the longest time in my life, I was convinced that, you know, the great white shark was the apex predator. But, you know, as I started really deal, I was like 18, 19 at this point, bro. And uh, as I started delving deeper into, you know, the, the mythos of the great white shark, it was revealed to me that as horrifying as they truly are, there still exists something far more terrifying within the oceans. And that is, of course, a great white, or I'm sorry, rather the orca. Okay. I was about to go back on the great white shark shit because Megalodon, I was obsessed with Megalodon too, you know, and I, you know, sometimes I think to myself, is it possible that Megalodon still exists out there? Some people say yay. Some people say nay. I say, I don't want to fucking find out. You know what I mean? <laughs> All one of the many reasons why I'll be fucking very, very hesitant to ever go back into the ocean ever again. Right? Anyways, uh, the, the orca tattoo, dog, for me, it was it's, it's part about learning how to overcome the fears. You know what I mean? To overcome the fear. Like, yes, there is a terrifying fucking monster inside the ocean. And it can potentially fucking eat you alive. <laughs> the point I'm trying to get to, dog, is that the, the overcoming of the fear, the realization that has haunting as the fucking great white shark could be right there's always there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel you know what i mean <laughs> there's a little bit of fucking hope if you will and uh it sounds strange bro but that's something that for me personally and i'm sure a lot of other people too that horror movies provide it provides this right um perhaps the best example i can give you is of the movie it okay and uh, for me personally I'm sure for many other people as well, but for me, the way that I, that I interpret it, like, yeah, it's a fucking haunting, terrifying story, bro, about a fucking demonic entity that feeds on the fucking, the innocence of children. Like, of course that's fucking haunting. I don't like it for that reason. Like, I hate it for that reason. You know what I mean? But what I love it for is not because of the fucking horror monster, the creature Pennywise. I love it for the fucking, the, 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 the story of courage, 
faith, fucking friends coming together, love, ultimately conquering the fear. You know what I mean? And learning that as as haunting and terrifying as the fears that we face may be, that they can be overcome. It just, it takes fucking courage. It takes strength. It takes, you know, collectivity together. And it takes the resolve to understand that, you know, we have that power within us. And uh, to me, that's what the orca represented. The orca represents something that is a, a true apex predator in a sense. You know what I mean? That's something that is fucking makes toys out of sharks. A great white shark, no less. You know what I mean? Something that is collective in nature. They're, fam they're familial in nature. They have paws that they exist with forever. You know what I mean? For the entirety of their lives. That's very, you know, admirable. And it's very hope-inspiring for me. You know what I mean? It was very hope-inspiring. And that's, obvious. that's the other reason why I got the tattoo. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, <laughs> all of that is just a tangential way of getting back to the idea that, you know, again, these monsters, you know, it's not just the shit that we people are capable of, but the shit that's capable to happening to us as people as well, okay? Of which a shark attack, obviously, is just one of the many. Now, the reason why I keep emphasizing this is because the idea is going to be here for this genre horror is that how much of our lives, if you will, is structured around the basic fear of survival. Everything from the way that we navigate the world, us personally, Right from our obsessive, obsessive compulsions, like I have to fucking, you know, make sure the doors are locked and I got to wash my hands and I got to fucking make sure the stove is off and all that kind of shit just to ensure that our own personal well-being and safety. OK, and, you know, to help assuage many of the thoughts and, you know, problems that are bothering us in, in relation to our, our continued survival to our fucking our ethics and our norms and the way our politics are fucking structured. And how in turn our, you know, our, our, our energy is swayed in such a way by the people who are controlling these fucking norms, cultures, politics, etc. To utilize, you know, us by way of our fear to do their bidding, basically. Okay? So, again, when we're dealing with this, it's important then to make a distinction between man and monsters. Namely, in the form of a... It's a non-fixed boundary, dog. There's a non-fixed boundary between man and monster, okay? A little... A little bit of it, and, and I'm not trying to be gender exclusive here. I'm using man, you know, as a term, as a broad encompassing term for all of humans. But the idea here is that in this non-fixed boundary, there's a clear distinction between what separates, you know, man and beast, if you will. But it's non-fixed, dog, meaning that it fluctuates, okay? And ultimately, that it exists within one and or within us and that it thus ultimately collapses into one. There's a little, it's like a whole yin and yang shit, dog. There's a little bit of monster in every man and a little bit of man in every monster, if you will. Okay. So the idea is that, you know, <laughs> just a fancy academic way of saying that despite our air of pretense, most of the world that most of the world we as humans have constructed from our most bestial of nature. Okay. And thus the distinction at times, it's mainly a veneer. Okay. Uh, I, I encounter this a lot when I'm teaching the social contract, not yeah, the social contract theory too, but specifically the natural law theory. Now, this isn't a podcast directed towards a natural law theory. I just happen to be teaching it right now in my ethics class uh, as I'm creating this podcast. But, um, <laughs> you know, as I was preparing this, it really helped resonate with that idea. And that is how, you know, in ethics in general, a lot of people dismiss the social or rather the, the natural law theory. And understandably so. It's not the best fucking theory. Okay. But there are some parts of the social of the I keep saying social contract. I'm sorry. Right. There are some parts of the natural law theory that really speak. That I think deserve more attention than they that that than they than it receives. Okay. And this this is one of them. Okay. The idea here is that humans, we construct the world that we're living in, right? And that's basically what the natural law is saying. They're saying that there's two, there, there's various kinds of the natural law theory, right? But the part that I'm trying to get to you that is often overlooked about the natural law theory is that everything about the world that we're living in, it's not pre-given. It's created by us as humans. Okay. And because of that, most of the world is created from our most bestial of natures, right? And thus, why I say that the distinction between man and beast is ultimately a veneer in, in most cases, okay? Um, so what I mean by that is like, take the institution of slavery, homie. That shit is fucking horrifying, right? Uh, you could say the same for shit like rape, torture, genocide, and so on, right? Yet all of these, despite the fact that we like to distinguish ourselves from, you know, animals, this is all common traits of the, uh, of the animal world, okay? Now, just because of that, this is where the natural law theory gets in trouble. They're saying, well, just because it's a natural world means that it's justified in human behavior. Like, I would say, clearly, no, that is not true, right? I'm not saying that, mean, that, that means that it's justified. Fuck no, okay? What I'm saying is that we ourselves are animals and that most of the structures that govern our life stem from this animal nature. 
So the desire to protect against the fact that slavery is fucking illegal, despite the fact that slavery only came into existence because we're fucking primal monstrous beings. You know what I mean? The desire to protect against rape, torture, genocide. Not because for any other reason than we as humans recognize how deeply, you know, animalistic in nature these actions are and what we are capable of and the ensuing desire to avoid them from fucking overtaking the worlds that we live in, it, right? So the idea here is that while it is possible to make them better, if you will, given that they were the structures that we're living in, the world that we're living in, given that they were created by many who never even considered this fact, the fact that, you know, our bestial nature is what's influencing the creation of these structures that we're living in, um, the prevalence of such actions, it, it's really not surprising, dog, though unquestionably horrifying. So what I'm trying to say is like, yeah, we could try to make the world a better place. But the reason we're trying to do so is because obviously the world that we're living in is fucking horrifying in the first place, right? And it's not until we recognize what makes this world inherently so horrifying uh, that we can actually be able to change it. And one of the driving forces that makes it so horrifying is that we, as fucking humans, are inherently monstrous. And that the monstrosity within us is what is creating this fucking world in the first place as a double-edged sword, if you will. It's creating it because in order to defend against the very actions that we are capable of, right? So the idea here is then that if we do want to, in fact, build a better world, if you will, we have to address this bestial nature in humanity in order to be able to do so. This is, you know, some deeply philosophical shit that I've been addressed that, nah, I'm not just, I'm not just me, you know what I mean? But like Nietzsche, for instance, that's what he's talking about when he says that we must overcome this Darwinian beasthood. It's one of the many ways in which this shit can be interpreted, right? This, Darwinian beasthood. The history of philosophy itself is concerned with discussing the nature of humanity, the nature of human beings, and that fucking bestial nature is unquestionably a part of it. And uh, I mean, it, it could be seen in everything, dog, from the way that we personally navigate the world. Again, the, the, the nature for self-preservation, -preser uh, right? The idea that you're only going to engage in actions or uh, uh, avoid actions, ideally, that will fucking threaten, you're going to uh, engage in actions that ensure your self-preservation and uh, avoid actions that threaten it, right? And then in turn, you're going to create structures in the world that hope to do the same, which of course can be manipulated by people who understand the way human psychology works and work to fucking utilize it to their benefit. So yeah, and then I guess, you know, from there, that's where you can get, there's so many readings that I'm, I'm telling you, like this horror genre, for me, per, me personally, this genre horror, it just opens up a huge landscape of potential philosophical ideas because from there you can get everything from, you know, ideas about overcoming your fear, your fears, as I mentioned with the example of the great white shark, you know, learning that our, most of our fears are predicated from an instinct of self-perseverance to fucking understanding the ways in which we are being manipulated by, you know, the, uh, the, the, the masters of mankind who are, you know, actively working to, you know, speak to our fears in order to get us to do their bidding. Anyways. Moving along now, the idea is that given this horrific nature, it's only natural of reality in general. It's only natural that we as people, we develop fear-based responses of coping with it. And for many of us, it's within this fear that we experience life, with some being so terrified that we become prisoners to this fear. This is the part where I started to realize, I, I'm telling you, though, like, I don't, I, you know, going back to my story about going out surfing with my homie, I, it took forever. It took forever for this motherfucker to actually get me out into the ocean, bro. And part of the reason why is because of how paralyzed with fear I was. I, I didn't mind going to the beach and I didn't mind even going, you know, maybe knee deep into the ocean. But once you start getting to the point where you feel no longer comfortable and being able to escape, barring some fucking catastrophic circumstance... This shit is fucking, it's difficult to do. It was very difficult for me to do, given especially the fact that the, the largest body of water I had been, uh, been uh, near up until that point was the fucking Pythia of a river, the Rio Grande that exists out here in El Paso. You know what I mean? But inevitably, through the exposure therapy, I was able to obviously become more acclimated to being in the ocean until it finally dawned on me that, you know, the likelihood, first of all, of actually being attacked by a great white shark, it's slim to none, bro. You have a higher chance of being killed by a fucking cop or a domestic terrorist here in the United States of America than you do by a shark attack, okay? Uh, so I had that rational component kick into my mind, but more importantly, I had the experiential component. I see my homie out there surfing and living his best life, and I'm just there fucking paddleboarding at the fucking, you know, waist deep because I'm terrified to, you know, try to do the same. And I realized that, yo, that's keeping me from living a fucking life. Like, when I go back to El Paso or when I leave the Bay Area in general, 
I'm gonna motherfucker. What am I gonna tell people? I never went surfing because I was afraid of getting jacked by a great white shark, despite the shockingly low fucking chances of that occurring. Like, nah, bro. I'm gonna leave this place and potentially never be able to chance a uh, chance to come back and never have experienced the the entirety of what living in you know on a beach town offers people because of my fear. Like, nah, homie, I didn't want to be that person. You know what I mean? So the idea here is then that you know. Uh, we recognize through horror movies, the genre horror, we recognize that how much of our of our, of our lives are, are are predicated by a fear-based response to, you know, the desire for self-preservation. And it is within this fear-based response that, you know, we feel safe and that safety realistically is nothing more than a fucking cage, bro, that is keeping us from experiencing life to its fullest, okay? Shout out to the complacency theorists here who insist, you know, like we're in the middle of this catastrophic pandemic, Right? To me personally, I say, bless your heart, fam. I know you're terrified, okay? But you're going to have to let it go because no matter what you do, the end is going to come for us all anyway. So you could fucking lock yourself up in this fucking imagined cage of comfort and safety, but inevitably, it will come for you, right? There's this great, there's this great passage. I'm not sure. I don't think it's in the Quran. It might be one of the, uh, there's like adjunctory material. There's add-on material to the Quran. The name of it escapes me at the moment, Okay. But it's a great quote that talks about no matter where you hide, no matter where you protect yourself, you can shelter yourself in the most secure of, you know, of castles, but inevitably death will come for you. So there's nothing that we can do to escape it. And in living in this fucking fear-based response state of mind, all we're really doing is keeping ourselves from enjoying the beauties that life has to offer, right? Anyways, with all this talk about fear, the natural philosophical thing to do, of course, is to really examine what fear itself is. And at its core, fear can be said to be the perception that one is likely to be victimized in life and as such anticipates danger. So again, shout out to the fucking identity politics crowd this time. Again, I ain't mad at your homie per se. I'm just saying that, you know, perhaps giving, maybe just give your parasympathetic system a break, okay? And that will potentially yield better all, of, better all around results for society, you know what I mean? The idea here being is that you're constantly so fucking vigilant that you're just looking everywhere for a potential threat to your well-being, which, you know, I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm saying they don't exist in the numbers that you fucking have developed and has been further reinforced by the so by the echo chambers of social media to make you believe that they're ever present. Like, nah, dog, am I saying racist people don't exist? Of course not. They're fucking everywhere. I'm saying they're not as prevalent as you're fucking imagining yourself to be, all right? I'm saying that people who are actively trying to hurt you Certainly they exist somewhere in the world, but it's not every single fucking person on this planet. You know what I mean? There's still fucking mad, beautiful people that come in all shapes, sizes, colors, right? All that kind of beautiful shit. <laughs> and if we fucking start to uh, uh, see every single potential person as a threat to our well-being, it's not going to make for a great life, homie. You're constantly going to be vigilant on fucking, you know, on alert for some sort of impending threat or danger, right? So again, this idea that especially when you fashion yourself into a victim in every single way and, you know, you're on a state of constant hypervigilance, you, you, you're, you, I understand the impetus of trying to make the world safe all around you to deal with it, but it's just not feasible. It's just not possible, right? And again, I get it. You know, for the most part, given how rough shit was back in the day, why people would feel the need to be able to do, to want to do so in the first place. And uh, while it's certainly still rough now, it's clearly not as bad as it was before. So the idea here being is that, again, we're operating from this fear-based fucking response. And if we hope to make this new, better world, it's something that we have to move away from. And, you know, I personally and people like myself, you know, like the author of this text, feel as though, you know, horror movies help us do so because beyond the initial shock value that they provide, they many of them provide messages of you know of hope and what they do is they is they shake us if you will from this fucking uncomfortable from this uncomfortable state of of <laughs> this comfortable state where we're in where we feel safe and secure and they help move us towards this more uncomfortable state of realizing that okay i'm no longer hyper aware but that's okay because now in the loss of hyper awareness i have room to grow and you know room to see life through a different lens Nine times out of ten, dog, the horror movies always end in a fucking with a positive tale. There's always there's always that one exception, of course, the outliers. But for the most part, this is the idea that we're trying to get to here. Is you know, 
shit is not as bad as it was and shit is not as bad as we make it out to be okay and these horror movies fucking they fucking help shake us out of this idea to you know be able to navigate if you will life in a more positive manner anyways since uh since fear is something that will undoubtedly be understood differently by each person it's good to think of fear less as a continuum of feelings if you will or rather it's it's good to think of it less as a single emotion and rather instead as a continuum of feelings my apologies now, I like this definition because it doesn't really cast fear in a negative lens by portraying it as a quote-unquote bad thing. Instead, it puts, again, a positive spin on it and says that fear can be constructive. It's not always fucking destructive. That under certain circumstances, it can, in fact, be constructive, right? But again, by motivating essential actions on particular risks. So one of the more prominent examples that I was thinking about when I was writing this was just, again, the ongoing fucking pandemic, homie. It's very easy. And I know myself was, I was guilty of it because I, of course I had fear, bro. When it first happened, you know, there was no real information of uh, of trust uh, that we could go off of. Uh, All we were told is it was a deadly pandemic that was sweeping the world. And we, it was very easy, not very easy, very easily, you know, not only a caught, but transmitted, especially, you know, to the elderly people. So, and because of that, you know, for my grandparents' sake as well, for my brother who was still alive at the time and, you know, who was battling with chemotherapy, which significantly weakened his immune system, of course I was haunted by it, bro. And of course I did what I was fucking told to do out of fear that I would catch the virus and transmit it to my elderly grandparents or my, you know, at the time, sick brother and potentially cause them to fucking, you know, succumb to it, right? But... Obviously, as time, as time continued and we, more information was revealed to us about the pandemic, the less effect that the fear-based programming of the narrative specifically that was being pushed had an effect on me. And that's what kind of what they're saying here when it comes to the positive spin, that fear can be constructive. Like you learn from the fear and instead of fucking seeking to shelter ourselves from all the potential fears, we learn which ones are to be feared and which ones can be addressed head on, Right. Hence, the motivating essential actions on particular risks. Spending time with your fucking family, dog, that's an essential action. I don't give a fuck what no one says, right? And, you know, keeping yourself away from them because you're told that you may potentially cause them to fucking succumb to an illness that you don't even have is terrifying. But, you know, inevitably, you got to decide what's more terrifying. Never spending time with my family again out of fear that I'm going to, you know, uh, uh, transmit to them a disease that I don't even have. Or perhaps like some people have completely cutting them off because of their beliefs of the pandemic or actually getting the fucking virus and, you know, you know, actually succumbing to it. Yes, of course, dying of COVID is fucking terrifying. My heart goes out to every single person who has. But again, the numbers game, how likely are you is this fucking to happen to you? You know, the same deal with the fucking the likelihood of being attacked by sharks. I'm not saying that you have the equal amount of, you know, being attacked by a shark as you do by, you know, uh, of dying of COVID. Obviously, one is higher than the other. I'm just simply saying that you you measure the risk, the benefit risk and the benefit, the potential benefit uh, of the action. And you say to yourself, is this something worthy of being feared for me personally? Or is this something that I can take action upon? And that's up to you personally to decide, right? Again, this is one of the reasons why I like this definition. It opens up for us the possibilities of fear and can help us understand it as an equally motivating and limiting force, Right. It can help us understand it as a stimulative emotion with the ability to destroy as well as to create. And perhaps most importantly, it helps us understand fear as an intuitive force that can be both rational and irrational. So one of the things that we talk about a lot in philosophy, especially when it comes to virtue ethics, is emotional intelligence. And fear, I feel, is one of the emotions that many people, myself included, have a very low understanding when it comes to emotional intelligence of because we allow ourselves to be completely subsumed by the fear that we don't actually allow ourselves to work with the fear and learn from the fear. This is going back to the previous episode of the podcast where I was talking about, you know, the dark side and all that kind of shit, nihilism. Like, yeah, dog, you have to immerse yourself in the dark side. The same here being with fear. You have to immerse yourself in the fear to get to learn the fear and get to know what is to be feared and what is just an irrational belief to use the fear as a creative force and not always just as a destructive force. And this is, again, the ubiquitous spectrum that I, was spend- that I mentioned earlier with the definition of fear in full effect. Now, to further amplify this point, the argument is made that fear 
Specifically, the fear of death, dog, is the mainspring of human activity. This idea, I mean, this is a prominent idea in philosophy, bro. Okay, this is something that goes back all the way to the fucking, the first time people start philosophizing, bro, is the first time people realize that fear is a driving force in much of our life. The fear of death specifically, okay? Everything from fucking the Nahuatl to the fucking Stoics, like they're, this is what they're talking about, dog. You got to study philosophy in order to come to terms with the, with the finitude of your life here on this slippery earth of Tlaltic Pak, right? And uh, you learn to realize how much of those actions and behaviors are driven by this inevitable fear so that you can confront them, overcome them, and potentially live a happier life having done so, right? Um, and in this particular sense, what the fear is going to tell us is that this fear of death it haunts the human animal like nothing else. Now, if this is to be believed, then it stands to reason that fear itself is an emotion central to the human experience. I emphasize this part because, you know, sometimes when I start talking about horror movies, bro, people like a lot of, it's not really the most, it's not the most fucking, it's not the most popular. It's gained a lot of popularity lately, right? But um, even then with the, the, the seeming more uh, mass adoption of, of horror movies in general, it's still, uh, it's still a small subset of the culture that really enjoys fear or horror. You know what I mean? And um, for the longest time, one of the more like basic for me personally responses to the fear, the, like the, the love of horror movies, is that it's going to allow in demonic and evil entities into your life, which I get. Don't get me twisted. Okay, I get the argument. It's Christian fucking alarmism, as I mentioned before. But it has a little bit grain of truth to it, especially if we're going along with the fucking whole idea of Project Blue being priming and, you know, introduction of occult symbols to manipulate action. Like, okay, I get that argument, okay? But again, I disagree in the sense where what I'm trying to say is that people don't create the, in many instances, I'm going to say that they don't, they're not springing from the impetus to do that. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is that they spring from the impetus to address a driving fucking emotion in the human experience and that is fear that's why we're attracted to fear that's why we're attracted to dangerous horrifying things like we want to look away but part of us is fucking attracted to it because it's a fundamental driving force in the human experience okay or at least a central force to the human experience so it should come as no surprise then why fear is present in everything from art and culture to politics, economics, the environment, and so on, bro. Again, it could be a work of art, a horror work of art to culture. You know what I mean? Like the fucking, you know, certain, let's use like a culture of rape culture, slavery culture. Like that's fucking horrifying. That's fearful. That's shit to be afraid of, okay? But it also comes in the form of politics, bro. The impending threat of World War III, the always looming threat of fucking uh, nuclear Armageddon, the looming threat inevitable or of, a, of another financial crash, the fucking... The, the, the specter, if you will, of global warming. Like it, it, it's such a central emotion to human experience that to deny that to deny it just out of the simple dismissal that it's going to introduce into our lives negative effects, it's not really doing fear an actual justice and what we, in turn can be learned from it, right? So the idea here is that because of its pervasiveness, fear shapes our ideologies which in turn influences our everyday discourses. When you're talking to a person you don't agree with, fear is the driving force behind that discourse is what this definition is going to want to tell us with. That person is afraid of you as an other. They don't understand you. You're not part of their group. And because of that, you serve a threat to everything it is that they believe that not even what, not, yes, definitely what they believe, but a threat to everything that is grounding them, excuse me, that is grounding them to reality. The basic gist here, homie, is that everybody's scared up in this motherfucker, okay? Everybody. Anyone who says they're not is a fucking liar. I'm not saying that people haven't overcome fears. I'm saying that even in overcoming fears, life itself is fucking haunting and terrifying. And you have not the ability to overcome it so much as the ability to confront the fear and, be, you know, become perhaps a little at least more comfortable with it, if you will, right? Uh, anyways... The point is with that is that everyone, you know, we're all at war constantly because we're all terrified, not just of the physical harm and potential harm or potential death that we know is present in every moment over the silliest of ideas, dog, if we're being honest. And, you know, because of that, we're, you know, basically we're redlining <laughs> on a daily basis, expecting this looming ever present threat to take us out at any moment. Which, again, I'm not saying that it's not there. I'm just saying that it's not as fucking prevalent and common as we've been led to believe. The whole fear-based algorithms of social media. This is how they fucking thrive off the fucking emotion of fear. 
They say hate, but I'm convinced that, you know, beneath hate is driven, hate itself is just a front for fear, okay? We fear what we don't understand, essentially. We fear that which we don't fucking recognize, okay? And that, you know, the social media platforms, this is how they get their fucking, this is how they get their money. So they're going to, of course, they're going to, they're going to operate in such a way where they, you know, benefit off of the hate and the fear, you know, they're going to cater to it. And it's not just the technocrats that sell fucking Silicon Valley, bro. It's the entirety of the fucking masters of humanity, okay? They know this good and goddamn well, and they use fear as an instrument in achieving and, you know, maintaining their power and dominance. So the idea is then that what fear presents to us is the ability to recognize this and help us, you know, relax, homie, to take a deep breath and, you know, give our parasympathetic system a break, you know, from all the fucking constant redlining that we're doing from the fear-based narrative and ideologies that have shaped our entire existence. You know, understanding that, yes, life is trying to get you, but it's also trying to show you some beauty in the meantime. Don't let the fucking scales tilt too far to the former where you can't enjoy the latter. Now, I want to pause here to emphasize that although I'm talking about monsters, yo, this is some deeply philosophical shit in the sense that we're dealing with human nature. Again, it's human nature, bro. It's in our nature, again, to be afraid. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because there are shit that we, there is shit that we should be afraid of. Um, that helps ensure our continued survival, especially when we're put in unfamiliar positions, right? Uh, what I'm trying to say then is that it's, it's learned, what I have already said, and just to reiterate, is it's learning to dis- distinguish and differentiate between that which should generally be feared and that which, while terrifying, could potentially be faced and hopefully even, not, not overcome per se, but you know, overcoming in such a Christian way, just such a Christian fucking way of navigating the world. I would take it more towards the fucking Nawa dynamic. It's not about overcoming. It's about strengthening ourselves in such a way where, where we're not fucking operating on the lower end of the fucking, of the spectrum where we're uh, tit for tat, basically, right? We're strengthened by the fear, not diminished by it. Anyways, when dealing with this, what I find to be dope about the monsters metaphor is that it helps us to understand this in familiar ways. Again, Take the fucking fear of being eaten alive, for instance. It's a very fucking, com- it's a very common, rational fear to have. Like, yeah, dog, there's fucking tigers. There's, you know, fucking <laughs> sharks. There's all kinds of shit that can eat humans, alligators. You know what I mean? That's things that can happen. And it's rational to try to avoid those at all fucking costs, okay? Um, and it's a great literal metaphor, more importantly, to remind us that, you know, we're not apex predators in all situations. Again, rip the motherfucker that got eaten by the shark in fucking Australia recently. But it's also great in showing how this fear extends to the monsters of war, famine, again, environmental catastrophe, and so on. These fears and our ensuing desire to avoid them, they help shape not only our personal world, idea, the idea here that if I don't go to the ocean, I won't be eaten by a shark, but our public worlds as well. So this, in turn, shapes everything, again, from our morals to our rules and values, and the like to increase the likelihood of our survival. So this monster then is this odious creature that can be found in everything, dog. We find it everywhere from religion and biology to literature and politics to the fucking person sitting across from you that you have no idea who they are, right? We find this monster in everywhere we look, including the mirror every morning, right? So again, the idea here is that, you know, monsters, horror movies, evil shit, like it all, it's easy to dismiss, especially when all we have, uh, the only, you know, um, ideas that we have from it come from by way of cheesy B-grade fucking Hollywood movies. You know what I mean? But the truth is that, you know, the monster, if you will, is a deeply philosophical issue that is, you know, an odious creature that can be found in everything, you know, again, from religion and biology to literature and politics, philosophy, art, culture, etc. right? So the reason then, the question then becomes why? What, what, what leads to the creation of these monsters? So an, an answer, one of many, is that when, when we see monsters as cultural categories, it's easy to see how they can in turn become convenient tools for those who desire to wield power and influence. So this takes the place, everything of adults creating monsters to help keep their children in line to politicians fucking creating boogeymen in order to keep their citizenry in line. The fear, the the idea here is that the fear of the scary other, it's very real, homie. And it justifies everything from endless wars of aggression to inhumane immigration policy and everything in between. You know, and motherfuckers like Mike Myers, you know, 
it's really nothing, dog. Mike Myers fucking pales in comparison to the horrors of killing children with drone strikes, separating families. These these are the real horrors, right? And uh, these fears, in turn, they're implanted in us again since childhood by our by our parents in an effort to elicit obedience as well as to discourage behaviors that could lead to harm. And they are later tapped into by teachers, friends, acquaintances, bosses, movies, and the like. So the idea here is like, yeah, dog, you know, the creation of monsters, we recognize this shit, the monsters as within us. So we export the monsters. We fucking, we, we, we export the monsters that exist within us and we give them visual and auditory fucking uh, 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 appearances, okay? In the effort to use those appearances to control the behaviors of other people's. Despite the fact that the real terrors are what, you know, we as individuals are capable of, okay? Now, these fears being implanted in us since childhood, the idea there is that this is ultimately, you know, the first slippery slope argument we all encounter with the typical warning of don't go out at night or the Yorona will mistake you for one of hers type shit. Now, beyond being a classic tale in Mexican lore... La Llorona, dog, the story itself, it serves as the embodiment of every nondescript childhood fear. The fear of being abducted, the fear of bodily harm, the fear of fucking death, etc. So these tales of terror, thus they utilize the monster to discipline children and consolidate all these childhood fears into one, right? And these fears are then seared into our brains, Okay. And they stimulate our imaginations of all the potential monstrosities that can occur to us, okay? All the potential evils that these monsters are capable of. And this fear, ultimately, it serves as the fucking, the way in which we navigate reality. Because again, the basic instinct of any animal is that of self-preservation. Because if you're not fucking alive, then nothing else really matters. So since a very early age, given that fear is what's primed into us, it's easy then for other people to come along and tap into that fear to, you know, basically puppet master us like in the Freddy Krueger movie. Now, the interesting part, at least for me personally, is that despite our wildest imagination, of course, no monster is perhaps more dangerous than the human monster. As mentioned earlier, the real monsters, again, they're internal homeboy. And as such, we've tended to deify, if you will, the good within us while simultaneously demonizing the bad. And that's just wrong, according to this reading, because evil is a, this is a very Christian, that's a very Christian thing to do, by the way, right? So the idea to say that it's bad to fucking deify the good and villainize and demonize the bad, that's obviously a very counter-Christian belief, which is no surprise then that Christian people fucking hate horror movies, right? Um, not all Christian people, it's a very hasty generalization, but for the large part, you know, it's one of the many things that we're, that you're told to avoid as a Christian person. Anyways. The idea here is that evil is a trait, okay, that monsters are thought to hold in abundance, despite the fact that the same trait resides within us. So the people as monsters metaphor, if you will, summarized evil tendencies as lying dormant within us. So the idea here is that as awesome as cryptozoography is, right, as awesome as those stories are, they pale in comparison to stories telling of monstrous children, family members, bosses, tyrants, and the like. This is something, you know, that the modern, per day, the modern purveyors of stories, the mass media, are keen on and that they utilize effectively. Fear itself, bro, it's a valuable commodity, essentially, and it's used to sw hold sway over our emotions. These motherfuckers know about the human mind and how it operates and thus they know full well that appealing to our fears stimulates our imagination and makes us more susceptible to falling victim to sensationalist stories. The negative consequence of this, of course, is that, you know, this kind of media focus tends to distract our attention from dangers that are far more numerous and tangible in nature. Again, yeah, dog, the Rona is a trip, but you're far more likely to get killed by a cop or a white terrorist, okay? Or cancer, homie. Stay woke, right? Don't fucking let the, 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 the fear-based narrative dictate our lives. Now, this for me is one of the many areas where the study of monsters and monstrosity are of the utmost importance. Now, obviously, the manipulation of consciousness is something that I'm deeply interested in, particularly in how this deception is used to advance others' interests by way of our bodies, rendering, rendering us literal fucking zombies, okay? Um, so naturally I would be drawn to the zombie monster metaphor. 
And an obvious way this is taking place at our current moment is the ongoing pandemic. I mean, I can't, I can't continue to mention it, dog, which has basically fucking admittedly put people like myself in quite an interesting predicament. Because on the one hand, my skepticism of the entire thing is well known. But on the other hand, I still maintain this fucking insistence on the importance of science and obviously my initial fucking response to the whole pandemic, okay? So in turn, I'm forced to try to navigate this pandemic in a way that I'm not anti-science nor falling victim to scientism where I fucking unquestionably believe everything that science has to say, where I believe, you know, in the institutional authorities without fucking any sort of pause at all whatsoever. Now, obviously, what doesn't help this is that the media is constantly slanting the narrative towards a more fear-based bias, which obviously is not, it's not, it's not, it's not a surprise because the common fucking saying, if it bleeds, it leads. It's just, that's how the media works. But it does make it difficult in getting to the truth, if you will, of a situation. Like, you know, like you, I'm human, homie. And like you, I possess the instinct of self-preservation, as do the scientists who are telling us all this information. And because of that, we're all subject to the fear response that I've been talking about, which makes us question just to what end does fear play in processing all this elaborate information that we're being given about the ongoing pandemic. For us laymen, the idea is whether it's even possible that we are perhaps being, you know, too cautious or even laid back about the pandemic. And as far as the scientists are concerned, the idea is that perhaps they themselves are interpreting the data and thus sharing it from a place of pure fear. So the goal then is to try to learn to recognize this so that we can hopefully learn to overcome it and advance ourselves in a way where we're not limited by this fucking prison of fear. And in doing so, we'll hopefully potentially be able to advance ourselves uh, to a more... Uh, 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 I guess the, the way that I like to think about it is the eyes of love. That's why I put my hands right here, right? The eyes of love is per Bill Gates. Bill Gates? No, fuck Bill Gates. <laughs> By, oh, what the fuck is that comedian? Whatever the fuck the name is of the, uh, the comedian. Bill something, right? But he tells the distinction between the eyes of fear and the eyes of love. Yes, all of us are operating from this fear-based response and at least learning to recognize it will create the space necessary for us to reflect upon it and thus hopefully be able to change it in a way that will be conducive to a less fear-based approach to the world where we cannot be manipulated based simply off of our fucking desire for self-preservation. And yeah, that seems about as good a time as any to go ahead and wrap this bitch up for today. Like I said, it's just an introduction to a long series that I hope to continue as this podcast progresses. But for now, I hope you all have a great rest of your day and I'll see you next time. Day, night, whenever the fuck it is you're listening to this. Yes? Peace. Peace.